Welcome to this episode of Come Follow Me, A Disciple's Journey. This episode will cover Helaman chapter 13. We're going to be introduced to Samuel the Lamanite. He shows up and prophesies of the destruction of the Nephites. Uh, the one thing I like to point out is in the chapter heading it says, prophesies the destruction of the Nephites unless they repent. They're, the hand of the Lord is outstretched always. Here we talk about, in, my, in the previous episode I talked about, the purposes of the Book of Mormon and the covenants. The, one of the covenants of the of the Lord to us is that as we repent, He will always hear us. That it's never too late. We we should always uh, remember that. That when He warns us of destruction and and when the prophets get up and warn us of um, the heartache that awaits us as a consequence for sin, that's only as a consequence of sin. As soon as we repent and ter- return and turn back to the Lord. We, we find his loving arms of mercy to protect us and to uh, redeem us and forgive us. Um, so, they, uh, that's Samuel, shows up. Uh, they didn't like him at first, so they kick him out. It reminds me a lot of Alma chapter 8, when Alma goes into Ammonihah, gets kicked out. And then is walking away. An angel appears to him and says, go back. He goes back to a different uh, entrance of Ammonihah. Samuel does a similar thing. Rather than going to a different entrance, he just hops up on the wall and starts preaching to the people from right there on the top of uh, top of the wall. Uh, a few things to, that I think are pretty interesting from the chapter. You'll see a lot of echoes from Nephi, the contemporary of Samuel. So the Nephi that we've just got finished reading and studying about. Uh, Samuel, it seems Samuel either knew Nephi, which and Nephi left uh, the Nephites and withdrawn himself from them. So it's possible that Samuel knew Nephi uh, or that someone had written down Nephi's words and Samuel had a copy of them. Uh, because Samuel, sometimes in, there are places where word for word he quotes Nephi. There are other places where it's really close word for word, and even in other places where it definitely looks like a summary or just uh, Samuel's own way of saying what Nephi said. There's, you know, I don't know, that I, there's probably maybe more than this, but I found maybe eight to ten places like that where there's these very strong echoes and shades. And so, as I mentioned last week in talking about chapter 12, the chapter 12 was this bridge chapter it is very much so because Mormon, again, bridging between Nephi and Samuel, but also I think Mormon recognizing that Samuel was uh, not only a contemporary of Nephi, but also someone who seems to have had interaction in some form or fashion with him. And so their messages lined up quite a bit. And so chapter 12 summarizes what Nephi just said, but also is this precursor to what Laman or that uh, Samuel is about to say, because the two messages are so joined. Um, another thing that's really interesting to me is Samuel's use of the name for the Lord. He calls him the Lord of Hosts three times in this chapter. If you recall, uh, I'm pretty sure all the way back when we were talking about either First Nephi when Nephi first started talking about. Uh, and quoting Isaiah, or maybe in Isaiah chapters in Second Nephi. Um, if you've been listening, you might remember this. If 
even if you have been listening, you probably don't remember this. So here's a refresher. I mentioned that the use of the word or the name for the Lord, the Lord of hosts, uh, is almost exclusively in the Book of Mormon. It's almost exclusively in the Isaiah chapters. So, um, twenty. So, fifty-two times. That's how many times the the name Lord of Hosts is used in the Book of Mormon. Uh, Thirty-six of them are from Old Testament references. So. Isaiah chapters, um, when Christ in 3 Nephi quotes Malachi, there's a couple of them there. So, but 36 of them, so that only leaves uh, 16, right? Well, seven more of them come, so that's what, 43 total. Seven more of them come from Nephi directly after the Isaiah chapters, when he's summarizing the Isaiah chapters, and he's referring back to Isaiah's words. So if you lump those in to say, like, this is him talking about Isaiah, okay, now you're all the way up to 43. So that only it's nine times that the uh, name, the Lord of hosts, is used in the Book of Mormon. Six more times is Jacob, and he's basically, I think it's, I want to say it's a, all of them are in Jacob chapter 2. Um, and he is kind of doing the same type of thing that Nephi is doing, but he's also, it's kind of a hybrid and so if you count those six times and the three times here, it's only used nine times in the Book of Mormon. But what Jacob's doing is the same thing that Samuel's about to do. And it's the same thing that Malachi is doing and why he uses that name. It's the same thing that Isaiah does. And it's why Isaiah uses that name. The, the, the name for the Lord, the Lord of hosts, is used as a reference to when he is standing at the head of his armies, at the head of a, a host of an army, the Lord of these hosts, the host, coming in to destroy. So it could be uh, a a revelation about the last days when he's coming to basically finish the fight and reclaim the world. Um, Or it could be a prophecy from Isaiah when Isaiah is saying, hey, uh, the Assyrians are coming, right? They're going to come and the Lord of hosts is going to destroy you because your wickedness. So uh, what's in, why this stands out to me is because if you take even those six from Jacob away, who we know Jacob quoted Isaiah, uh, Jacob loved Isaiah. Jacob's words uh, were very, there's several places in his writings where he's pulling things from Isaiah. And so if you talk about someone who isn't, directly like referring to Isaiah, the only place, or or Malachi, the only place that the, the name Lord of Hosts is used is here in Helaman, chapter 13. Samuel uses it three times, and he's warning the people of destruction. He's warning them that the Lord is going to come with his armies, with his, with his uh, justice, to make things right unless they repent. So I spent a little more time on that than I was planning on it. But it's it's a really interesting, cool thing to me that's just like in the intricacies of the Book of Mormon and uh, the the use of this name and how rare it is. And that, anyway, when I when I went and looked up some things and found that you could really can isolate it here outside of Old Testament references. All right. Uh, anyway, the next thing is um, in Samuel. Samuel goes up to the on the wall and he 
it says that he uh, prophesied unto the people what's over things the Lord put into his heart. So, uh, President Packer uh, described how the voice of the Lord often comes. He said, Revelation comes as words we feel more than hear. Nephi told his wayward brothers who were visited by an angel, you were past feeling that you could not feel his words. Uh, and the scriptures are full of such expressions, uh, such as the veil was taken from off our minds and the eyes of our understanding were opened. Or I will tell you in your mind and in your heart. Or I did enlighten the mind or speak the thoughts that I shall put into your hearts. There are hundreds of verses which teach of revelation. And uh, one of the things that stands out to me is like, um, Revelation comes, as a President Packer said, they come as words that we feel more than hear. And so from section eight of the Doctrine and Covenants, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart. And it makes sense to be told in your mind, right? You can like, thoughts come to you, but like tell you in your heart. How do you translate that? How do you translate? And I think that's one of the reasons that the Spirit is so hard to explain. And it's so hard to explain to others is because the Lord speaks to us and we can, you kind of just know, you feel. You feel what he's telling you. You feel prompted to say X, Y, Z, even though X, Y, Z didn't necessarily come to your mind in in those words, right? Um, and this reminds me of in Third Nephi. There's lots of places, but in Third Nephi, the Lord uh, Christ prays, and it tell, the people say that they can't even say. It says they can't speak the things that he spoke. And I think it's, I think that has a dual meaning. I think that they were forbidden because it was so maybe private and holy. But I also think that their, their tongue, their words, they didn't have words to even say the things that they felt. They they felt him praying. Uh, Section 76 of the Doctrine and Covenants is another place where it kind of hints at that. Um, And we can see this type of thing just within translating of languages, right? So, the Lord speaks to us in a way that we specifically understand, but he, his language, he, he isn't, his language isn't English or Spanish or any other worldly language, right? His, he, he is, his language is whole and complete and we can't understand it unless it filters through our spirit, right? Uh... But like I said, we can kind of see this within just even languages on earth. So I've got this uh, Bible that my wife gave me for Christmas last year. The Old Testament is in Hebrew, and then it has the English translation next to it. And then the the New Testament is in uh, Greek, and then it has the English translation. But so you have the, the Hebrew and the Greek. And the people who have done this translation, they had this foreword the beginning preface and they just said basically how hard it is to translate because uh, for example in Hebrew there is a place and I can't remember the verse but where the English word that got translated is joy but the Hebrew word really depicts something more like someone who stoops down and scoops up something off of the ground that brings them joy and what word in the English language it describes that? There's not one, right? And so as we talk about the Spirit and the way that it, the Spirit speaks to us and puts in, puts it into our hearts, it can be really hard to explain to other people. It can be really hard to put into words. 
But as we stay close to the Spirit, uh, we will be able to know the things the Lord needs us to know so that we can do the things that he needs us to do. Uh, verse five starts, uh, with his, with Samuel's very specific, uh, prophecies. He says that it's in 400 years that the Nephites are going to be destroyed. He gives a very specific, uh, prophecy. And later on, he tells us that, tells the Nephites that in five years is when Christ is going to, to be born basically and come. So it's another very specific prophecy. What I want to do though, for the rest of this episode is focus on basically verses, let's see, like six through 13, really. Um, and I'll give some other points and notes about some other verses, but that's, that's really where I want to focus. Uh, because this is where, Laman, or I keep wanting to call him Laman. He's a Lamanite. Samuel. This is where Samuel hits him right on the nose with, you're going to be, verse 5 he says, you're going to be destroyed unless you change right now. Change right now. And how do you change? It's repent. He says, nothing can save this people. Save it be repentance and faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. So he introduces that thought. And he says, so to me, what I what I read when I see that is that repentance will bring a protection because you're going to be destroyed unless you repent. So repentance brings protection. But then he goes on and says, And behold, an angel of the Lord declared it unto me, and he did bring glad tidings to my soul. And behold, I was sent unto you that to declare it unto you that ye also, or that, uh, sorry, declare unto you also that ye might have glad tidings. But behold, ye would not receive me. So, he had the glad tidings and he's like, I'm going to go share with them so that they can have the glad tidings. So I, these repentance equals protection, but repentance also equals glad tidings or in other words, joy. It equals joy. Back in chapter 12, verse 22, he says, and woe unto him who shall say this, for it shall be unto him uh, that will do iniquity and he cannot be saved. Therefore, for this cause that men might repent, uh, sorry, therefore, for this cause that men might be saved, hath repentance been declared. That's what Samuel's going to do, right, for these people. As he's gone so that they might be saved. Repentance is the protection. Do, do, you want, do you want protection in your life from the wickedness and the darkness of the world? Repent. You repent. I think of Ether chapter 8, uh, verses 23, 24. Uh, Moroni is talking about secret combinations. And I mentioned this a couple weeks ago when we talked about Helaman 6. But he says, a paraphrase, paraphrasing, he says that when you when you recognize that these secret combinations are among you and you awake to your awful situation, repent of your sins. The first thing he says, Moroni says, is to repent. If we want protection from our day, from the wickedness outside our, our window... If we want protection from the darkness and from the craziness, repent of our sins. If we want joy, despite what's going on in the world, repent of our sins. We can control that. You can control that for yourself and for your life. We can't control what the world is doing, what 
your national government is doing, what your local government is doing, what your neighborhoods are doing, what your friends are doing. You can control you. And what Samuel says is that's enough. What Moroni says in Ether chapter 8 is that's the that's that's how you start. You want to make a bigger, broader change. Great, cool. But where you start is with repentance because that repentance brings protection. That repentance brings joy. Uh, chapter or Verse 11 says, And if you will repent and return unto the Lord your God, I will turn away mine anger, saith the Lord. Yea, thus saith the Lord, Blessed are they who will repent and turn unto me, but woe unto him who repenteth not. And that verse reminded me of basically the... Uh, what's... I'm trying to remember who gave this talk. So it was a... He's the young men's president, general president, I think. Or at least he was then. Uh, Stephen Owen. He gave a talk in 2017 called Repentance is Always Positive. And uh, I've, he said this... Too often we think of repentance as something miserable and depressing. But God's plan is the plan of happiness, not the plan of misery. Repentance is uplifting and ennobling. It, it's sin, it is sin that brings unhappiness. Repentance is our escape route. As the other detailed, Christofferson explained, Without repentance, there is no real progress or improvement in life. Only through repentance do we gain access to the atoning grace of Jesus Christ and salvation. Repentance points us to freedom, confidence, and peace. My message to all, especially the youth, is that repentance is always positive. And uh, this made me makes me think of a talk by, ooh, not L. Whitney Clayton. It is Lynn G. Robbins, and he said, "Repentance isn't uh, God's backup plan in case we fail. Repentance is the plan, knowing that we will fail. It is the plan, and His plan as." Uh, Brother Owen said, "Is a plan. It is the plan of happiness." So, if we go to the end of this chapter, verse thirty-eight, Samuel says, "Behold, your days of probation are past. Ye have procrastinated the day of your salvation until it is everlastingly too late. For ye have sought all the days of your lives for that which ye could not obtain. And what's that ye cannot cannot obtain?" And he's going to tell us, "Ye have sought for happiness in doing iniquity, which thing is contrary to the nature." of that righteousness which is in our great and eternal head. Why is that contrary to him? Because his plan is the plan of happiness. His happiness does not exist outside of that plan. True happiness does not exist outside of God and outside of his plan. And what is that plan? As Elder Robbins told us, repentance is the pl- is his plan with the central feature of the atonement of Jesus Christ and, the, and his power making it possible. But sin brings unhappiness. Iniquity brings unhappiness. And we can't find happiness outside of repentance. And so when I... Repentance brings protection. Well, there's no protection outside of it. Repentance brings joy. Well, there's no real joy outside of it. Repentance is joy. Repentance is protection. It's not... It's not, and, I, and so I want to retract even something that I've said, and that is that repentance brings joy. Repentance brings protection, because that makes it sound like repentance is a apart or separate from that, separate from that protection, separate from that joy. It's not. It is the joy. It is the protection. Through the atonement of Jesus Christ, 
we can repent. And because of that repentance, we can be saved. We can be saved from our sorrow now. We can be saved from our sin now. We can be saved from eternal damnation in the eternities. But that protection is for now. That joy is for now, no matter what happens in our life. Uh, Elder Scott said this, um, Life is not that way. Yes, moral agency allows you to choose what you will, but you cannot control the outcome of those choices. Unlike the false creations of man, our Father in Heaven determines the consequences of your choices. Obedience will yield happiness, while violation of His commandments will not. And and so he's you know, echoing what Samuel said in verse thirty-eight: that there's there's no happiness outside of of obedience and righteousness and repentance. So just a few final thoughts. Uh, that was kind of my main thought that I want to share about this chapter. Um, a few final thoughts: verses between verses twenty-four through twenty-seven, the people basically say, "Yeah, you, well, Samuel says you say you wish that you lived with the prophets and you wouldn't reject the prophets, but." Uh, now when you talk, you say, if our days had been in the days of our fathers of old, we would not have slain the prophets. We would not have stoned them and cast them out. How funny is that, Thinking, considering what they're about to do? They're about to try to stone him and shoot him with arrows. And just 15 years before this, they had rejected Nephi. It's like, wake up. Uh, people tend to really like dead prophets because you can make a dead prophet say whatever you want him to say. Uh, meaning that you can construe their words because they're not there to define them for you, right? And so we need to make sure that we are we don't fall into that trap of uh, ignoring the current Latter Day Prophet, uh, or or heeding so much prophets of old or what they said at the expense of following what the current modern prophet and apostles are saying. President Ballard said, Now, my dear brothers and sisters, please pay attention to those things that the leaders of the church have taught. Apply the teachings that will help you and your family. Let us all, regardless of our family circumstances, bring into our home the teachings of the prophets and the apostles to strengthen our relationship with each with, with each other, with our Father in heaven, and with the Lord Jesus Christ. I promise you, in the name of the Lord, that if you will listen, and not just with your ears, but also with your heart, the Holy Ghost will manifest the truth unto you of the message delivered by the president of the church, his council, his counselors and the apostles, and other leaders of the church. The Spirit will prompt you to know what you should do as individuals and as families in order to follow our counsel, that our testimonies might be strengthened and that you might have peace and joy. And so I want to end on that note in terms of what can we do in our world of craziness? We can repent and we can listen to the prophet and apply it. And as he said, and it goes back, what did, what did Samuel do? He said all the, he prophesied all the things whatsoever the Lord put into his heart. And if we will listen with our minds and our ears and our heart to what the prophet and apostles and the leaders of the church are teaching us now in our day, in the Liahona and Ensign this month, from April 2020 conference, what did they teach you? If we will, and if you will listen, if I will listen, we will be told what we can do. And I can tell you that one of those things is going to be repent every day, every day, every day. And as we do that, we will have protection. We will have joy because we will be repenting. And that repentance is protection and is joy. Um, well, that's a, that's a wrap, as it were, for this chapter. 
there's a, there's a lot in this chapter. This is probably the heaviest chapter I, for me this week in my studies. Um, but I wanted to just pull out some of those few things. I um, there's some other thoughts that I had, I had maybe thought about sharing with you guys, but I feel feel good about what I've shared, um, and, and I hope that it helps you in your study this week, and I hope that you're able to find the things and hear the things uh, and read the things that aren't really there that aren't that aren't written. Hear the things that aren't said, but that are that are told to you in your mind and in your heart this week as you study. Um, thanks for listening, and I hope I'll see you in the next episode as we talk about uh, Helaman chapter 14.